Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center, a church dedicated to loving God and serving people. Today, we have Pastor Preji teaching us from the series Hallowed Be Thy Name. The revelation that he would be sharing today is from the name Yahweh Roi. Hope this will minister to you today. You are awesome in this place. Abba Father, you are worthy of all praise, to you our lives we raise, you are awesome in this place, mighty God. Tell your neighbor that God is in our midst. You may feel it or you may not feel it, but God is in our midst. Because we do not live by sight, we do not live by feelings, we live by faith. Amen? We do not walk by sight, but by faith. And faith comes when we believe and when we understand what is in the Word of God. The Bible says that when we build Him a throne of praise... He comes and He inhabits that throne of praise. He comes and He is seated in our throne of praise. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. So, can we, can we become excited to receive from the Word of God? Yes. How many of you remember the names of God that we have studied so far? Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Jireh. Elion. Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Elohim, Adonai, Sevaot, Yahweh, El Shaddai. So we have learned about 10 of them. The last time what we learned was from the story of Gideon, how Gideon built an altar and he named it Yahweh Shalom. You know, the, the one reason why I love Gideon's story and it's so unique is because everybody else built an altar after their breakthrough. But here was Gideon who had an encounter with his God and immediately he built an altar. He did not wait for his breakthrough to come. Even before his breakthrough came, he began to declare ahead of time saying, My Yahweh is my Shalom. My Yahweh, he gives me peace. My Yahweh, He gives me wholeness. Amen. Now today we're going to go a little step, one more step further. You know, in this particular series, we are not going to be able to finish all the names of God. Uh, because if you study the Bible, you, you're going to have so many different revelations of God's names. That it's impossible for us to finish that in 12 sermons. Uh, but what we're going to do is just pick up as much as possible by next Sunday and try to exalt and hallow the name of God. Amen. Jesus taught us to pray this prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to be kept holy, to be kept separated, to be kept sanctified, to be kept uh, exalted, to be kept in a glorified, prioritized place in my life. And 
when we pray that prayer and when we desire for God's name in our lives to be hallowed, to be lifted high, to be exalted, you know, it has to be followed with a desire to realign a lot of things in our life. It has to be followed with a desire to die to our own names, to die to our own desires, to die to our own ambitions. Because if we are going to try to exalt his name and our name together, there is going to be a direct conflict of interest. Amen. And when we pray, say, Lord, hallowed be your name, we have to follow it up with this deep personal desire to lay our lives down. That's why Jesus taught us to pray that prayer saying, when you pray, you need to pray this. May our lives be centered around the glory of your name. May our lives be centered around the purposes with which you have created us. You have made us. Amen. Amen. This morning, we are going to Psalm 23. This is a very famous Psalm. We all know this Psalm. Yes. If you are a Christian for a while and if you've gone to Sunday school, And if you still don't know Psalm 23, then we really need to pray for you. Let's let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to my name no to his name even when I walk through the darkest valley I will not somebody say I will not I will not be afraid for you are close beside me your rod and your staff they protect and they comfort me verse 5 it says you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies and you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the psalm of David. This is a psalm that he wrote when he had this unique personal revelation of who God is. And he says, you are Yahweh and you are my shepherd. In Hebrew, it would mean, the, the word in Hebrew is Ra'a or Roi or Rohi. You know, these are the different ways in which it, this is known in Hebrew. So we are focusing on Yahweh Rohi this morning. Now to understand who this Yahweh Roi is or who this shepherd God is, we have to understand why David wrote a psalm like this. What happened to him? Why do you think David wrote a psalm like this? What what inspired David to write this particular psalm? He He was a shepherd himself. And he saw the nitty-gritties and he saw how he was shepherding his flock and he saw what he was doing to shepherd his flock and in doing so, he had a revelation of who God is as his shepherd. And so often, I'm telling you this, 
the, the things that you go through and the things that you are committed to doing and the things that you are doing and you're not doing, the Lord will use those things to give you an understanding and a perspective and a revelation of who God is. It is necessary for us to keep our eyes open to not just say, okay, uh, I know that God is a father and a king and a, and a lover and a shepherd and all of that, but you need to ask God from your perspective, from your lens, from your life experience to teach you who God is for you personally. Amen? Yeah. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing on David's life is because all of these things that he mentions in Psalm 23, when he says, you are my shepherd, Lord, you're my shepherd, you're my Yahweh Rohi, and I have all that I need. I have everything that I need in the fact that you are my shepherd. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. I have all that I want. Now, it's very easy for a king to write this. It's very easy for a wealthy, prosperous man to write this. It's very easy for somebody who has everything that he wants to write that because God is my shepherd, I have all that I want. But it is harder to confess these things, especially when you do not have what you want. When you do not have what you need. To confess that because I have Yahweh Rohi, Everything that I truly need is in Him. I don't need a job to feel significant. I don't need a relationship to feel special. I don't need a lot of uh, social media followers to feel important and valued. I don't need a place on the stage or in the worship team or the ministering team to feel that I am anointed. My significance, it comes exclusively from my relationship with Yahweh Rui. What he's saying is, I don't care where I am. I don't care how rejected I am. I don't care how mistreated I am. I know that he is my Yahweh Rui. And because he is my Yahweh Rui, I have all that I want. I have all that I need. Let me take you into this journey. We're going to take a little bit time this morning to span the initial few years of David's life. I know that most of you are familiar with this, but we'll still revisit that story and try to understand what I'm trying to say. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. The Bible says, Finally, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, You have mourned long enough for Saul, but I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. You know the story. How Saul disobeyed God. How Saul lived a lifestyle that was rebellious. That was, uh, you know, in fact, in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, he says, uh, the prophet Samuel says, hey, what you're doing is like witchcraft. Rebellion. Do you know that it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, rebellion is witchcraft? You know, you know, if somebody would go to a black magician, pay money and get involved in witchcraft, what would you call that guy? You, you, you would say, man, this guy is completely off. This guy has no idea about his life and, and he is doing something that is completely damaging his life. He's inviting spirits and demons that are going to mess up not just his life, but his generations to come. And Prophet Samuel said, what you did, 
King Saul by your rebellion is that you engaged in a kind of a witchcraft, you engaged in a kind of demonology that is going to not just mess you up, but it's going to mess up generations to come. Ideally, when a king dies, it's the king's son that become the king, right? You know, there were many, many wicked kings in the history of Israel. Even the wickedest king, when the king died, their sons would inherit the throne. But King Saul was one of the only kings of Israel who did not have the opportunity or the grace to have his son inherit his throne because of the sin of rebellion. The Bible says, so God spoke to Samuel and said, hey, stop mourning, go and find me another guy. And now this is God's choice now, right? It says in the next line, it says, find a man named Jesse who lives there for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Do you remember I taught you something about protocol last week? How when God had to encounter Gideon, God did not go to Gideon. God went to his father's house and waited there for somebody responsible to come and visit him. Amen. The same thing happens here. When God had to select the son, God could have sent prophet Samuel directly to the wilderness, to wherever David was, right? But God didn't do that. God honors protocol. So he sent prophet Samuel to the father of the house, to Jesse. And he said, go to Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be the king. Now, if you know the story of how he goes there and the Bible says, uh, verse 5, then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them for the sacrifice, invited them for a holy meeting, for a personal uh, feast that Samuel had come to celebrate in this particular place in Bethlehem. Now, the funny thing is, the prophet invited Jesse and all his sons. And yet, you know the story of how all of his sons did not really come. The Jesse had eight sons, out of which only seven of them showed up. Jesse, when he looked at his eighth son, he did not find it important enough to even invite this guy for what the prophet had called him for. Jesse said, okay, you know, this guy is just a shepherd. He's taking care of the flock in the wild. Let him be there. I don't think that there is anything good that can come out of him being in a feast like this. You know, you should understand this. There is theologians that say that David, one of the reasons why he was not invited to this banquet, to this feast, is because he was born out of wedlock. Because if you read one of the Psalms that he wrote, he says, in sin, my mother conceived me. So, so, so there are people that say, now this is not in the scripture, this is not in the Bible. There are theologians who say, there are rabbis, Jewish rabbis who say this, that David was one of those guys who was born out of wedlock and it would be a disgrace to invite somebody like that. You know, another person like that was Jephthah in the book of Judges. If you read, you would see the same treatment that Jephthah would receive where he would be rejected and not invited to be part of anything that God is doing. And in the same way, Jesse thought it inappropriate to have David on the table. Jesse, his own father, did not believe in him. 
His own physical father did not believe in promoting just in promoting David. And the Bible says that, you know, in verse 11, then Samuel asked after passing through all seven of his sons, Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? And then Jesse replied, no, there is still the youngest. He is the youngest. He is the least capable of all my sons. Verse 11, again it says, but he is out in the fields and what is he doing? He is watching the sheep and the goats. So Samuel replied saying, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives, until he comes, until he comes to receive what, what we are going to do here. We are not going to feast. We are not going to sit down to eat. We are not going to sit down to enjoy what God is speaking and doing and releasing in a time like this. Now, that's amazing because, you know, if you read the context, this man has come because he has heard a word from God, right? And Prophet Samuel, he is trying to, he's trying to make his choice of saying, okay, probably Eliab is the one that God has appointed. And then he's about to pour the oil on Eliab and God says, no, 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 not this guy. Then he says, okay, probably the second son. He goes to pour his oil. God says, no, 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 don't do it yet. And he keeps doing it. And God keeps delaying this till finally, you know, Samuel had to call for the youngest son. Now, what was David doing during this time? He was shepherding. David, he, his calling right now was to be a son to his father. And as his father's son, it was necessary for him to do what his father had entrusted into his hands. And what did his father entrust into his hands? Not money, not business, not the, not the more spiritual, more uh, fancy titles in the house. The father gave him the, the least important job in the house. That is to go and shepherd. And the Bible says when he was asked to do that, he did that and he did that faithfully. That is where the call of God came upon his life. When he was watching the sheep and the goats faithfully, the word of God came. Even though there was disconnection, even though there was betrayal, even though there was people that did not want him on the dining table, the Bible says that Yahweh Rohi had his eyes on him. And that's why David would look back at this instance and says, because I have Yahweh Rohi, I have all that I need. I don't need no man to vouch for me. I don't need nobody to give me money or nobody to give me uh, physical protection or help. I have Yahweh Roy and he is all that I need. He is all that I want. And then it says in verse 12, so Jesse sent for him. He was a, he was a dark and a handsome boy with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, so you have to anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with this oil. Now he would write about this at a later point and say, you anointed me. You anointed my head with oil. You, you have prepared a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You know, he's, who's the enemies he's talking about? His own brothers. 
his own family members. And you would see that. You would see that when David would go into the battlefield, his brothers didn't like that fact that he is out in the battlefield. His brothers wanted him to go back to doing the, the less important tasks and go back to being the shepherd. Don't act too cute and too smart and too intelligent, boy. Why don't you go back and do what you are supposed to do? And David would look back at it and say, hey, I don't need anybody's help. Because I have Yahweh Rohi, he knows how to bring me in the midst, in the presence of my enemies, and in the presence of my enemies to prepare a feast for me, and in the presence of my enemies to anoint my head with a special oil. He knows how to do it. He knows how to anoint you. He knows how to set you apart. So... Quit giving reasons saying this person doesn't love me and this person doesn't care for me and this person doesn't, uh, you know, is, is, is ignoring me. Child of God, if you have Yahweh Roi, then that's all that you need. You know, those that don't have a revelation of Yahweh Roi, they will be constantly looking for people's help. They will be constantly looking for people's appreciation. They will be constantly looking. You know, if you look at the life of King Saul, you would see how King Saul would be constantly looking for what people are saying. Even when he disobeyed, the Bible says, King Saul, instead of repenting of his disobedience, he is asking Prophet Samuel saying, okay, I know I disobeyed, but at least to save my face before people, will you come with me? Just to tell people that I am I'm a good guy. Can you please? His concern was not about hurting God. His concern was about how people will look, how he will look in the eyes of people. Whereas David, on the other hand, you know the story of David. When the prophet came and told David, you have sinned. You know what he did? He tore his clothes. He, he repented. He just went crazy in a season of uh, putting himself in the presence of God. He didn't care that the whole world knew about his adultery. He didn't care about the fact that the whole world knew about his murder. He didn't care about anything. He just said, okay, this is a sin. I need to repent of this. I need to, I need to change my heart about this. That was the difference between King Saul and David, where David was more concerned about his relationship with God Whereas King Saul was more concerned about his relationship with people. And David would pray like this saying, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Where King Saul prayed saying, you know, take not the appreciation of people from me. You know, can you see the difference of priorities? And, and that's what the Bible says in this place where it says that David, he was anointed by oil in the presence of his family members, in the presence of his enemies, in the presence of people that looked down upon him because he had a revelation of his Yahweh Roi. Can we pray? Can, can, I, can I desire, can I pray that some of us will have such an in-depth revelation of Psalm 23 verse 1? I know that we know Psalm 23 verse 1 by heart. But I pray that this morning you will go out of this place with a revelation. Not just with another memory verse, but with a revelation of who he is and what he means in your life and what he can do and what he has accomplished and what he is still doing in your life, what he is fighting for you. That you will go back with that revelation this morning. Amen. The Bible says, even as he was anointed with the oil, verse 13, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and from that day on, and Samuel returned to Ramah. 
From that day on, the Spirit of God just powerfully filled and equipped David. Powerfully, you know, changed his whole, whole being. And the Bible says that as soon as the anointing came upon David, automatically David started becoming famous. David started becoming known to people. There was an incident where the king, you know, you have to check out the podcast that's going to come out on this next Saturday. I'm teaching a little bit in detail about Saul and David and it'll definitely be a blessing for those who are working towards becoming leaders. The Bible says that when the Spirit of God came upon David, he also left King Saul. And when the Spirit of God left King Saul, a depressing, uh, overwhelming and a torturing spirit came upon King Saul. Okay, and what happened because of that? This, this guy, he started, you know, going, becoming mad, started speaking all crazy stuff. And then everybody sought for somebody who can solve this problem. And whom did they find? The Bible says in verse 18, one of the servants of Saul came and said, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Now he was playing harp all his life. But when the anointing came upon him, automatically he started getting known. Automatically he started becoming public. Automatically his life started getting amplified. Automatically his life started picking up pace. Amen. The Bible says in the next line, not only that, not only is he a talented harp player, what, is, what also does he do? He is also a brave warrior, a man of war and has good judgment. He's also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. You know, see when people look at you, they will always go in this order. They will say, oh, wait, he's a talented musician. And he's a brave warrior, and then he's a man of war, and he has good judgment, and he looks nice, and yes, he's spiritually also good. You know, this is how uh, wedding proposals happen, right? We look for everything else. All the does the does the does the guy has a good job? Does he look good? Does he have a good family background? What all the all of the things? And last priority is. You know, is he, does he go to church? No, he doesn't. Okay. Does he have a membership at least? You know, something with related to God so that we can certify that, okay, this person is a Christian. But God, you know, for David, that's not how he, it was for David. For David, it was the other way. For David, it was, you are my shepherd. Everything else, the fact that you feed me, you make me rest, you, you protect me, all of that is that is secondary. The primary thing for David was that God is his shepherd. That is what he begins with, right? Psalm 23. He finishes Psalm 23 by saying, your goodness and your mercy, it follows me. Yeah? But it did not begin with that note. You know, all the blessings and the goodness and the mercy following me, that is secondary to my relationship with you. My relationship with you is more important than everything else. Amen? The Bible says in the next verse, it says, So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, the musician, right? No, David the warrior. No, David the man of war. The good-looking one of your sons. Whom did the king request for? 
the shepherd. Now, if you see, the, the fact that he is a shepherd was not mentioned as a plus point for him. If you read the previous verse, you would not, nobody would say, oh, he's such a shepherd. He, man, you should see the way that he takes. Nobody said that. And yet, when the word, when the calling came, it came to the shepherd. It did not come to the man of war. The calling was not for the, the person who is uh, looking nice and the person who has, none of that. The calling was to a person who is a shepherd. And today, I'm telling you this, God is still looking for shepherds. He's not looking for greatly talented people that can do fancy stuff, speak fancy things, play fancy instruments. God is still looking for those that are intentional at being the shepherds that God has called them to be. Amen? Now, I'm going to come to it. I'm going to come to what that really means in a, in a while. In verse 21 it says, So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much. And David became what? David became his armor bearer. Now can you imagine, armor bearer is, is like a personal assistant or a bodyguard to the king. Okay? David became that close to Saul. And it says, and whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Yeah? Now this is what David is doing day in and day out. Now, his job description has changed from watching over the sheep and the goats to now take care and to watch over King Saul. Now, who is this current sheep? Who is this current sheep now? Saul. Now, now his job responsibility is no longer to take care of the sheep. Now his job responsibility is to take care of Saul's mental health. So whenever Saul would be in a bad emotional mood, his, he would immediately pick up the harp and begin to play harp. And as he would begin to play the harp, Saul would feel nice. Now, the funny thing is this, after him being so close to King Saul, do you know that Saul forgot about him? In the next chapter, he doesn't even know who this boy is. You know, can you imagine being in the court of the king and serving and, you know, what would you and I do? I'm never stepping into that court. That guy, you know, I, I served him so closely. I was his personal assistant and he doesn't even know my name. He, he doesn't even know where I came from, nothing. I was the one who protected his life. And now look at this, he doesn't even know who I am. You and I, we would be offended. But here was a man who didn't care about people's appreciation. Because for him, his Yahweh was his Rohi. And for him, all his appreciation, all his, uh, all his uh, uh, significance, his acceptance, all of that came from his relationship with his Yahweh Rohi. And because of which, he didn't care if the king forgot him. He didn't care if the king doesn't know his name. He didn't care if the king doesn't appreciate him, doesn't pay him well. It doesn't matter. For him, all that mattered is that he is doing a good job at what he was called to do. And he did it. He faithfully did a good job. First at watching the sheep that his father entrusted him. Then at calming down King Saul. And later you would see how his responsibilities kept on increasing. As he was faithful with little things, how his responsibilities kept on increasing. Verse 13. 
of chapter 17. Now we're entering into the famous story, yeah? It says, Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimea had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. So he got the least important job, that is to shepherd. So David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David, what did he do? He went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. So do you see David is multitasking now? He is doing part-time job in the palace where he's serving the king. So whenever the king is in a bad mood, he is a musician. Then he'll go back home and he'll go back to his old job of being a shepherd. He never got too proud saying, you know, hey, now shepherding business is under my, you know. I, you have no idea. I have been in the palace. I have been, you know, if you're in the palace, you get eat, to eat royal food, right? I have, and the Bible says he was a favorite of the king, which means he got good food. He got good clothes. He got royal stuff. And now he has to switch back to a mode of taking care of the sheep. This is where we struggle, right? We, we, we are okay as long as God is taking us, you know, from glory to greater glory to more promotions to, to more people and to bigger meeting and to greater opportunity. We don't like revisiting our past. We don't like going back to being a shepherd. And here was David who was going back and forth because he knew that as much as I am working for King Saul. I'm also a son to my father. And he went back to serve his father. It says, as he was continuing to be faithful in serving his father, one morning, his father, verse 20, it says, David left the sheep, the sheep that he had, he left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as his father, Jesse, had directed him. Who directed him to go to the battlefield? His father directed him. So you see all the characteristics of David that we see in this place is a, is a, he, he is a person who is committed. He's a person who is loyal. He's a person who is faithful. He's a person who is submissive. He's a person who is obedient. His father, when he asked him, hey, why didn't you go to the battlefield and check upon your brothers, take them these food? He didn't say, hey, these guys don't value me. I know my brothers. They devalue me. They look down on me. I know my king. He doesn't even remember my name. He doesn't even, you know, care to look at my face when I'm playing the harp for him. He, you know, I'm, I'm like a nobody out there. You know, in this place, he didn't resist. He obeyed his father's instructions and he went and he went into the battlefield. And sometimes obedience will lead you to battles. Do you know that? Sometimes obedience to what God wants you to do will make you stand before giants. That is not a sign that the obedience was a wrong choice. Sometimes your obedience is going to push you into difficult places. Your obedience may sometimes land you in front of the, 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 the lions that are out there to eat you up. Sometimes your obedience may land you in front of uh, you know, uh, an executioner who wants to kill you on the spot, in, in, the, in the fire, wherever. But here was a man who chose to still obey. And he went into the battlefield and David asked, the Bible says, verse 26, David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending this, his defiance uh, against Israel? 
Now here is David, he's asking the, the, the people, he's asking the soldiers, all the people that were around this, this battlefield, he's asking them, what will I get? What will a person get if they kill this giant? If they kill, if they take down this uh, Goliath? Now, you know the story of David and Goliath, yeah? And we studied this when we were talking about Yahweh Sevaoth. He took down Goliath in the name of Yahweh Sevaoth. You remember? That's one of the first times that that name was used in battle. And since then, he was, that, that name, Yahweh Sevaoth, would always come up in times of battles and, and, and wars. And, but David, before he got into the battle, he begins to ask questions. And he says, what will I get if I get into this battle? What will, what will be the result of winning this war? How will this bring a change or a result in my life, in my city, in my nation? You know, so often we engage into battles that don't have any results. But David knew that it'll be a waste of time to engage into battles that don't have any results. So he kept asking. So it says... Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. He kept asking. When one person gave the answer, he went to the next person. He went to the next person. He kept asking. He kept seeking. He kept looking for answers. And the Bible says when he kept doing this, he got an audience with the king. And then he, when he met the king, the Bible says, he said, he tells the king, don't worry about this Philistine. I will go and fight him. And King Saul replied, said, don't be ridiculous, son. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. Check this out. Do you remember in chapter 16, there was a description given about him? What was the introduction that uh, his Saul's servants gave to Saul about David? That he is a brave warrior, that he's a man of war, that he looks good, he's a man of fine judgment, all of those things and the fact that God is with him, right? And now King Saul is looking at him. See, first his father underestimated him. Now his king is underestimating him and saying, what good can come out of you? Who are you? What? You're only a boy. You know, if, if I was in his place, I would say, man, this is not my business. This is not my battle. This is your battle, you fight it. You don't know my value, you don't know who I am, so you take care of your own problems. I'm not going to fight your battles. I would have gotten offended, but David chose to say, no, I'm not going to take offense at this, because he knew that this is his God-given opportunity for promotion. The Bible says, in the next verse, it says, but David, he persisted. What did he say? He said, I... This is my qualification. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, what do I do? I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Then if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. So, I, I want you to understand this, okay? David says, you don't know who I am, but let me give you a history of where I come from. I am a faithful shepherd. A faithful shepherd doesn't run away when a bear and a lion come. 
if I'm working for a pay, if I'm working for a wage, I will run away because my life is more important than the money that I'm going to get from this. But I'm not working for a pay. This shepherd, these sheep, they are my assignment. I'm willing to put my life on the line to make sure that this sheep is saved. Right? It says that I will go charge after this enemy and I will make sure to take the lamb out of its jaws. And after I do that, if this animal would turn at me, then I would even go ahead and kill that animal. That is how David would conduct himself. His first priority was not himself. His first priority was not protecting him. What was his first priority? His sheep. And once his sheep is safe, he would say, now I will protect myself. So he prioritized his people, his sheep over his own health, over his own resources and over everything that he personally had. Amen. And, and the Bible says, and I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Amen. So now he's saying it like this. He says, hey, I have done this in the past to lions and bears. Now I am willing to do this to Goliath also. Why? Because he has been, he's hurting. He's defying the armies of the living God. You know, these armies that are assembled to fight Goliath, you know whose responsibility it is? It is King Saul's responsibility. King Saul is their shepherd. But now David says, wait a minute, I can't see these sheep being scattered and being hurt. What I'm going to do is I'm going to fight and bring down this Goliath so that this sheep will feel safe. So my, my safety is not my priority. Their safety is my priority. My safety is second priority. And then he says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will also rescue me from the Philistine. See, what I want you to understand is that there was no prophetic word that came to David saying, go and rescue my people from Goliath. When it is Gideon, there was a prophetic word from God that came to Gideon saying, go and rescue my people, right? There was a word from God that said, go and rescue my people. But when it comes to, when it comes to Goliath, there was no word from God. There was no, no special utterance and no special movement, nothing like that. Here was David. He knew that his job is to be a shepherd. And he knew that there are sheep, there are some sheep, there are some sheep who don't have a shepherd. And immediately he offered himself to be the shepherd. He offered himself to work under King Saul. See, he never took the first place. You should understand he could have just said, wait a minute, I know how to kill this Goliath. Let me go and kill the Goliath. Right? Am I right in saying that? He did not need Saul's permission because Saul was scared himself. Saul's people were scared themselves. He did not need Saul's permission to fight Goliath. Right? He waited for Saul to give him the permission to go and fight Goliath. Even in the case of the feast and, and the, uh, the anointing, he waited for his father to give him permission to come and partake of the feast. Till his father opened up the door for him, he did not go and partake of the feast. Till his father sent him to the battlefield, he did not go, he did not 
go to the battlefield till king saul loved him to go and fight goliath he did not pick up this fight with goliath what does that teach us it teaches us that as much as david was a shepherd he was a shepherd under a senior shepherd he knew that i can only shepherd the people as much as i submit to my shepherd now my shepherd may be a demon possessed guy like king saul but i still need to submit to him if i need to come out victorious out of this you know that king saul was demon possessed you know that you know jesse was not in the right frame of mind if he chose to ignore his son you know all these people that you know that hurt him they were not great people they were not people that had the great the greatest of character and yet because david chose to honor and submit to those people in their life in his life he came out victorious every single time the bible says you know you know the story of how he goes and fights the battle and it says and as saul watched david go out to fight the philistine he asked abner the commander of his army abner whose son is this young man i really don't know abner replied then when david came back saul's first question is tell me about your father tell me about your father so in saul's perspective what he is seeing this warrior spirit that he is seeing in david he sees that you must have inherited this from somebody you must have learned this from somebody you must have been trained somewhere so tell me about your father tell me where you come from you know it also shows that saul didn't remember the fact that this guy has been in the in the in the palace all this while saul had completely forgotten that and finally david said yes his name is jesse and we live in bethlehem right now you see after this story the bible says he no longer went back and forth now saul said i want you completely for myself and saul kept him in the palace now in the next phase of you know if you read chapter 18 and verse 10 are you ready for this very scary verse it says the very next day the very next day everybody said the very next day a tormenting spirit from god overwhelmed saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman and david what was he doing he was playing the harp as he did each day this is this is david's job each and every day each day he would play the harp the bible says but Saul what he did was he had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David intending to pin him to the wall but David escaped how many times twice the very next day after killing Goliath the very next day after winning such a mighty victory what is this officer what is his boss what is his senior shepherd doing to him his senior shepherd is trying to kill him and david chose to remain in the palace david chose to serve in spite of an attack over his own life he chose to serve why because he knew that even if he is trying to kill me right now he is my assignment i have to play the harp for him daily if i tell you you know come be on the stage play the guitar and play the keyboard but there is a big chance that you know you there is a sniper you know that is uh, focusing on your head how many of you will volunteer to come and play you know uh, <laughs> how many of you will be intentional to come and 
be on the stage here. Nobody would want to take that risk, right? We, we all want a safe job. Can you imagine being in David's place? What would you and I do if your whole life is at risk to be the shepherd that you're called to be at that point? You know, initially he was shepherding sheep and goats. They have some kind of loyalty. Then he was shepherding the king. Then he was, you know, he, he got elevated. He, he got the grace to shepherd the armies of Israel where when he killed Goliath. And then the Bible says, then Saul would send him into the battle. And everywhere that he went, he would put his life on the line. First Samuel chapter 19 and verse 5. You know, his son Jonathan is asking King Saul, have you forgotten about the time that he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant? And how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result. This was a man who risked his life to be the shepherd that he was called to be. So what am I trying to get to? I'm trying to get to this point that when he saw a revelation of Yahweh Roi. Okay, this is pre-Jesus Christ on the cross. This is before Jesus died on the cross. But he had a revelation of who his shepherd is. When he had this revelation, the Bible says he was willing to become that rohi to his people. He was willing to become the same shepherd to his sheep and goats. Come on, David, why would you do that? Why would you want to risk putting your whole life on the line for a sheep or a goat? I can understand if, if it's for the armies of Israel. I can understand the king of Israel. Why would you put your life on the line for a sheep or a goat? You will get more tomorrow. You don't have to put your life on the line. But God was looking for somebody who is willing to risk his life. Because, because this guy had a revelation of Yahweh Rohi. He was willing to risk his life to be the shepherd that God wanted him to be. So when you see a revelation of Yahweh Rui, it is not just going to fill you with that comfort that God is there for me, God is going to protect me, God is going to guide me. But it is also going to push you into a place where you become a shepherd under that chief shepherd. If you don't become a shepherd, you are still being an immature Christian. If you are not growing to a place where you understand, okay, it's not enough that my needs be taken care of. Now I have to grow to a place where I am going to put my life on the line. Sometimes the sheep is going to bite me back. Sometimes this king is going to throw a spear at me. Sometimes I may have to put my life on the line. It's okay, but this is what God wants me to do. And I'm not going to wait for a prophet to come and tell me to go and fight the Goliath. I'm going to do it because I am a shepherd. Because I know who Yahweh Roi is. And all that I need is his revelation, his goodness, his grace in my life. Jesus said it like this. John chapter 10 and verse 11. What did he say? We know the verse, right? I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A good shepherd sacrifices. Not not. The shepherd of the world. No shepherd of the world will sacrifice his life for the sheep. No, they will not. Have you seen any shepherds talk about that? And say that I'm going to lay down. No, no, no shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What the shepherd would do is he will leave one goat so that he can uh, protect the remaining 99 and save his life at the same time. Yeah, that's what a, a business thinking shepherd would do. 
But here is a good shepherd. It says a good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he says, A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. But a shepherd wouldn't do that. A hired hand. Now this is a question you and I have to ask. Am I working for a wage? Am I serving God for a blessing? Am I, you know, serving this church, serving in this position or doing this task that has been assigned to me for a blessing or for an appreciation or for a salary or for something that God will give me as a result of me doing this? Or am I doing this because I want to represent Yahweh Roy? If, if, if you're doing this as a hired hand at the first sight of wolf, you'll run away. When you see problems, you will drop everything like a hot potato and you will be like, this is your problem, pastor. Not my concern. This is your church. You know, I, I don't care how you will manage this, but you know, I don't think I can get involved in this. We all want to stay away from a messy situation, right? But here is Jesus saying that, hey, are you going to be a shepherd or are you going to be a hired hand? Why am I asking you to be a shepherd? Let me take you there, okay? It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So what he's saying is, because I have a relationship with my father and my father knows me and I know my sheep, I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. What Jesus is saying is, I am an under shepherd under my father. My father is the chief shepherd. Amen. Because I know my father, because I know his heart, because I have a relationship with my father and I know my sheep and I know that they are dumb and I know that they need my help and I'm going to even be willing to lay down my life for my sheep. Because I have a relationship with my father. If you are not willing to lay down your life for your sheep, for the people that God has assigned around your life, God has assigned under, above sometimes. If you're not willing to lay down your life for them, you know what is the conclusion of it? It's that you do not really know your father. You do not really have a revelation of your Yahweh Roi. Because if you have a revelation of your Yahweh Roi, you'd be willing to lay down your life. You know, there was this whole thing about Peter betraying Jesus, right? And finally, when Jesus met him in, in chapter 21 and verse 17, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, what did he ask him? Are you willing to become the pastor? Are you willing to become the, take up the responsibility of a shepherd? Are you willing to do, no, what was he asking him? Do you love me? And, uh, and Peter said, yes, of course. You know, Peter, in fact, was hurt that Jesus would ask it the third time. It's not the first time, second time, third time Jesus asking the same question. You know, if somebody would ask the same question three times, you know that they don't believe you the first two times. Am I right? Yeah. Like if somebody is touching you saying, are you coming to church today? And you say yes. <laughs> they again touched you 10 minutes before the service saying, are you coming to church today? And you still reply and they still touched you. You know, are you on your way to church right now? You know that they don't really believe you the first two times that you tested them. Yes. And, you know, Jesus, Peter was so hurt. And Peter said, you know everything, Lord. And you know that I love you. 
So what, what did Jesus tell him? Yeah, if you love me, you have to spend the rest of your days worshipping me. Yeah, you have to spend the rest of your days reading the Bible properly. Read the Bible end to end and study the Bible properly. You know, is that what Jesus told him? If you love me, prove it. Give me a lot of money. You know, bring a lot of money to church every Sunday. Prove that love. No. What did Jesus tell him? Do you love me, Peter? Then here is my assignment for you. You need to feed my sheep. Not your sheep. They are my sheep. Now, I am appointing you as my under-shepherd. Just as my father appointed me as his under-shepherd. Now, Peter, I am appointing you as my under-shepherd. If you love me, prove that to me by taking care of my sheep. In fact, you know, we would all be very keen to, you know, just look at Jesus and say in, in John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, he, he said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the Rohi. I am Yahweh Rohi. All of that. But it's not enough that we see Jesus as Yahweh Rohi. It is necessary that revelation, that understanding of him being our shepherd will push us to become under shepherds, under the chief shepherd to other people around us. And that too at the cost of your life, at the cost of your life. When he kept on saying yes, you know, Jesus gave him a description of how he's going to die. And he said it like this, verse 19, John chapter 21, verse 19. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And Jesus told him, now follow me. What he was saying is this, Peter, do you love me? then I'm calling you to be a shepherd. But this calling of being a shepherd is a calling to die to yourself. Because you cannot be a shepherd if you're not willing to lay down your life for your sheep. You know, we get offended at the slightest things, right? We get offended if they don't appreciate, they don't give us the right title, they don't call us at the right, all of the things that naturally, normally offend us. But Jesus is telling Peter, hey, do you want to be the do you want to be my lover? Then you have to be willing to be a shepherd. But if you are willing to be a shepherd, you have to be the shepherd who is willing to go to the point of dying. To the point of dying. Anybody who has had to die physically yet? I'm sure that none of you have died and risen again. But, you know, if, we've, if, we, have, if we have life, then it is proof that we are are capable of becoming the shepherds that Jesus wants us to be. You know, sometimes it is going to be a hurtful process. You know, relationships are not easy, right? How many of you know that relationships are not easy? How many of you know that people are complicated? Not everybody is as simple as I am, you know? <laughs> sometimes it takes days, months to, you know, understand. What does this person really, really want? <laughs> One day he's on a mountaintop, another day he's on a valley. One day he wants to cut off somebody's ears, another day he wants to walk on the water. One day he's calling, you know, he's betraying Jesus, another day he's saying, you're the, the, your Christ, the Son. This guy doesn't seem to have, you know, any sense of what he's saying or doing. Shepherding somebody like that is not an easy task. Being a friend to somebody like that is not an easy task. Being, a, being in a relationship where you're going to journey with somebody and help them 
through their highs and lows. It's not an easy task. But that is what the Lord is calling us to. To the point of death. Peter, do you love me? If you love me, here is the sheep. Here is the lambs that I'm giving you. Sometimes some of you, it may be your, you know, actual lambs that he has given you. You know, physical careers or responsibilities that he has given you. And he's asking you to be faithful there. Some of you, it may be a, a King Saul that he has placed into your life. God have mercy on you if you have a King Saul. But, you know, some of us have a King Saul. Some of us may have people that are not led by the Holy Spirit that we have to help and we have to submit to and that we have to, you know, obey and take instructions from. For some of you, it may be a bigger responsibility. For some of you, it may be a Goliath that is standing in front of you. But Jesus is asking you the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Are you willing to go to the point of death to prove to my people that you are my shepherd? Not to prove to my people, but to prove to me that you're willing to be my shepherd. You know, this would become the fact that Jesus is Yahweh Rohi would become Peter's biggest revelation. When he would teach, when he would talk, he would always refer to Jesus as the shepherd. Let's read couple of verses. First Peter chapter 2 verse 25. Once he's writing to the church and he says, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd who is the guardian of your souls. He's writing to the church and saying, hey guys, you know what? He's our shepherd and he's the guardian of our souls. Now, once upon a time, we, we had turned away from our shepherd, but now we have turned to him, and he is the keeper, the guardian of our souls. Then, the next chapter, when he's addressing leaders, he, he addresses them like this. Chapter 5, verse 1. says, And now a word for you, who are elders in the churches. And I too am an elder, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. If you're an elder, you have to be willing to suffer. If you're a leader, you have to be willing to go through some pain. You have to be willing to have some spears thrown at you. If you qualify to be a leader, if you want to be a leader, you know that in this church, we are not raising baby Christians. If you want to just be an ordinary believer, I'm telling you there are plenty of churches around this city that are going to cater to you perfectly well. But this church is not for ordinary people. This church is for leaders. This is a training ground. This is a training center. You know, every man of God who has come here, who don't even know our vision, have come and confirmed again and again and again the same thing. This is not, this is not supposed to be a, a church where we have uh, uh, normal believers, ordinary believers, leaders. No, every person in this house is a leader. Every person has a responsibility. Every person has a calling over their life. Every person has to embrace this. And, and, and Peter is talking to the elders, to the leaders, to those that are decision makers in the church. And he's saying, hey, are you willing to partake in the sufferings of Christ? As a fellow leader or elder, I appeal to you. What does he say? Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Whose souls are they? Whose flock is this? His flock. You know, I may be your pastor in a church, but you're not my people. You're not my sheep. You're still his sheep. Yeah? He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it. How? 
willingly and not grudgingly because when you do for when you do it grudgingly you lose the reward it says not for what you will get out of it but because you are eager to serve God because you have a revelation of Yahweh Roi because you're eager to serve God so care for this flock eagerly not grudgingly not giving excuses guys 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 come on we have to stop giving excuses I didn't have time I didn't know the language no 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 stop giving excuses not grudgingly but willingly intentionally pray for your flock Pray for the people that God is interested in and lay down your life as if your life is at stake. Lay it down to take care of this sheep. Not because of what you're going to get out of it, not because of a salary, not because of, you know, how people will appreciate you, but because you're eager to serve God. Verse 3, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but what do you do? You lead by your own good example. Don't lord but lead. Everybody say don't lord but lead. There's a big difference. When, when we talk about leadership, everybody thinks it's about lordship. No, it's not about lordship. There's a big difference between lordship and leadership. And Peter says, hey, you are a shepherd. You're not a king. You are a shepherd. And as a shepherd, you're expected to lead your people by example. A shepherd walks ahead of the sheep. Showing the way that it should go. Showing the turns that it needs to take. By example, take care. By your own example. Don't lord it over them, but lead them by your own good example. Verse 4 says, And when the great shepherd appears, you know, the other translation would use the word chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. I like that Peter said, Peter did not say that, you know, when your church increases, when your church becomes big or when your, uh, you know, when your believer finally turns out to be a, a prophet or an evangelist or a mighty warrior, you will get your reward. No, your reward, shepherds, shepherds, any shepherds in the house this morning? Any shepherds in the house? Just wave at me. If you feel you are a shepherd, if you feel that God is calling you to be a shepherd, just wave at me, please. Your reward is not on this earth. There are a lot of things for which you will get reward here on earth. There are a lot of things for which you will be blessed here on earth. When you sow financially, you will get a reward financially here on the earth. There are a lot of things that you will get blessings and breakthroughs here on the earth. But to be a shepherd, it is not a, a place where you will, your reward is on this earth. Your reward is not here. Your reward is in eternity. And that is why sometimes it gets frustrating. You know, that's why sometimes it gets hard. Ask me about it. I'm a pastor. I know what I do on a daily basis. Sometimes it gets very challenging. Sometimes it gets very discouraging. Sometimes it, it's like, man, this person doesn't you know, get it. It's okay. Let's just move on to the next person. Stop wasting your time on this person. It's very hurtful sometimes. But... Peter says, don't worry about it. When the chief shepherd comes, your reward is not with the sheep. Your reward is from your chief shepherd. Amen. So when you acknowledge that what I am doing, I'm not doing it for just for my sheep, but for my shepherd. 
I am not laying down my life for, I may be dying for these guys, but not for them, but I am doing it for my shepherd, for the one that has entrusted this sheep into my care. When we think, think about it from that perspective, it becomes easy to endure. It becomes easy to have a, have a, a lifestyle of submission, a lifestyle of surrender. 2021 is going to be different church. Amen. 2021, every person in this church is going to bring people to the Lord. Every person in this church is going to disciple people. Every person in this church is going to baptize people. Every person in this church is going to be anointed. Every person in this church is going to be a shepherd. Every person in this church is going to lay down his life. Not just your money, not just your reputation, not just your health, but you're going to be willing to lay down your life so that we can save some sheep for his glory. So that we can bring them back to the sheepfold that where they truly originally belong. So that we can connect them to the chief shepherd. Not so that we can take glory out of it, but because we want them to come back to the chief shepherd. Amen? Are you ready to read this next line with me? Read it loudly. The encounter with Yahweh Rohi transforms me into a committed, loyal, self-sacrificial under-shepherd over his flock. Are you ready? Read it once again. The encounter with Yahweh Rohi transforms me into a committed, loyal, self-sacrificial under-shepherd over his flock. One more time, one more time. The encounter with Yahweh Rohi transforms me into a committed, loyal, self-sacrificial under-shepherd over his flock. It's a hard journey ahead. It's a hard journey ahead. You know, when David said yes to this, he didn't know that spears will be flying after him. He didn't know. You know, for the next 20 years, he was running for his life. For the next 20 years, he was living in caves and he was living in uh, the wilderness for the next 20 years. But he said, you know, in the natural, when he looks back, he can find Saul and his army chasing him. But in the spiritual, he said, no, no, no. I know because the Lord is my shepherd, goodness and mercy and his faithful love, they pursue me all the days of my life. And he said, no, 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 I will not, I will not live in caves and, and, and deserts. No, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Because he, he had already begun envisioning himself as the shepherd that God had called him to be. When he became the king of his nation, he did not become a king. He became a shepherd. He became a massive shepherd over the senior shepherd. That's why God looked at him and said, hey, here is a man that is after my own heart. Not because he was perfect. No. You know, David was far from perfect, right? In any standard, he was one of the, you know, very crooked guys in, you know, in, in, the, in that lineage. And yet, because he was so, so submissive to his chief shepherd because he took his calling so seriously. Because, you know, if there's one thing, if, you, if you're going to ask me, what is the one thing on, on God's heart? Do you know what's the one thing on God's heart? People. It's not properties. It's not money. It is, you know what is on his heart? Souls. If you're going to lay down your life to do that, to win souls, to win people, 
man i'm telling you you are going to resonate you're going to echo god's heart all eyes closed let's let's pray lord i want to see my yahweh rohi once again you're the one who laid down his life so that i can be healthy so that i can be whole so that i can experience freedom forgiveness so that i can experience blessings so that i can experience breakthroughs you're the one you are the one who laid down his life and we are very very thankful lord for that we are very very thankful for that but today we pray that you would transform us into a shepherd into an under shepherd under the senior shepherd who is willing to lay down our life for our sheep for the sheep for your sheep god for your children for your assignments that you give us we are willing to lay down our life lord here is a group of people that are willing to lay down their lives lord this morning we are not praying for blessings and breakthroughs but this morning this morning we are here bringing our lives and we're going to lay down our life at the altar for so long we have we have brought offerings and but this morning we are bringing lord we bring our very own lives thank you for downloading today's sermon we hope this ministered to you and your family today connect with us at dreamingrevival.com and you're welcome to join in to any of our sunday celebration service at 11 a.m. or you can tune into our live stream at youtube.com/pastorpreji god bless you and have a blessed week